everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. This is another creator-owned spotlight. We are here to talk about Area 51, the Helix Project, once again, because it's time for issue number three. So I have the writer here joining me, my buddy Trevor Fernandez-Linkowitz. Trevor, thanks for joining me, man. Hey, man. It's good to be on. Long time no see. Yeah, it's been months. So, uh, And a lot of hiccups. With Let's talk about the end of the, the campaign, the second campaign. Before third, before we well, we'll dive into the third. Well, the, right? the this is the fourth one. This is the fourth one. Oh, you're right. You're right. My bad. My bad. Yeah, I just read through issue all three issues again yesterday. What am I thinking? Yeah, the end of the third. Um, for those that aren't aware, <laughs> there were some, I guess, the joys of uh, self-publishing. You want to kind of let everybody know some of the challenges that you ran into. Well, I mean, the third one really came down to the wire. You know, it was literally. Um... It, it took pretty much up until the last couple minutes to get funding, uh, which was uh, probably the most frightening uh, experience of my adult life. Uh, <laughs> and, and also like moderately heartbreaking because I, I definitely had felt like everything that was put on display for the third issue uh, was by far the best looking. And I think that the third issue was the best issue up until that point in the series. So, yeah, it was definitely a little bit um uh, definitely a little bit rattling, but you know, we're here now uh, with the issue four campaign. Uh, it's made over $5,000 in about a week, which is uh, it's great, but uh, it's also, um, you know, I, I'm reluctant to, to, to pat myself on the back until we're funded. So it just kind of is what it is, you know? Yeah. I, I, and I wonder about that, right. Cause I, I was really surprised when it took so long for your, uh, your third one to get funded. And then, you know, you had the, the delivery, issues on top of the the other challenges and then this one comes out and it kind of does what number one and two did and i mean you're only a few days in and you're almost there already so uh hopefully people listening to this are going to go and pledge and and get you over the line if this if so this is going to drop on wednesday january 26th uh and it would be great listeners if we could get this project funded on that date so i can claim credit <laughs> <laughs> you know what man i would 100 percent concede the credit if uh all the folks listening wanted to give it a look and we've, we've got a lot of really cool stretch goals you know so that that funding goal is just kind of uh the bottom of the barrel uh we've 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 got some some potential opportunities for people to to get free upgrades that we've never offered before so it's it's pretty exciting yeah uh any any ideas like if you had to guess like was it, is it was it just a matter of timing you know the other one was toward the end of the year the holidays were coming up and whatnot this one's at the first of the year people are i don't know uh new year's I, resolution I, to read more comics like any any idea why honestly I, I was way more afraid <laughs> about launching this campaign at the time i did because i had felt like everybody had already spent their money on holiday gifts and such you know, with the last one, um, it was it was like it ended basically at the end of the summer. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe people are just kind of out doing things uh, during the summer and in the winter. Everybody's kind of holed up on the Internet and a lot more susceptible to uh, impulse buys, um, which certainly went against what I expected. Like I said, I was actually quite frightened about launching uh, in the middle of January because it's like, oh, nobody's going to have money to spend. Everybody will have spent everything on, on holiday gifts or whatever. Um, but it's been a pleasant surprise for sure. And the tough thing about comics, too, are that uh, 
it's it is just a market unlike anything else you know it, it kind of sits somewhere in between collectibles and entertainment and then you know you have the uh within the entertainment space itself you have sort of art entertainment and like literary entertainment it's weird man um particularly given the history of the business too so it's it's really hard to make predictions or or maybe i'm just still so so new to this whole thing that there's some type of pattern that I've yet to understand. But mm. to be honest with you, I, I really don't know uh, why we're off to so much um, more vicious of a sprint on this one than we were with the last one. Yeah. But I mean, it's, I guess it's a good, good problem to have. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Especially after, after the last one, for sure. Well, maybe we're we're jumping the gun here too, you know, talking about the, the campaign. We, and we haven't even talked about the, the book itself. So if anybody's listening and, you know, since the last time you, you've been on, for whatever reason, the comic source has been ex- exploding. We've been setting records left and right, which is great. Thanks to all you listeners. So I say that to, to say this, we probably have a lot of new listeners who maybe have, aren't familiar with you, not familiar with uh, Area 51, the Helix Project, have never heard of it. So why don't you remind everybody uh, who's heard before and introduced the, the concept of the story to the, to the new listeners. Yeah, for sure. So the, the lucky thing that the new listeners um, have to gain by this is that I've definitely uh, consolidated uh, my <laughs> sort of pitch for the book uh, since the last time we spoke, but it sort of presupposes that the uh, specimen that was cited in mass in like Roswell, New Mexico in the late forties um, uh ends up building himself a life on earth uh, and, and masquerades as human for decades until uh, he's essentially murdered um, after saving a human child, which is a selfless act that resulted in the exposure of his alien physiology. But that character is really only the catalyst because our protagonist is his son, who is a, a half-breed human extraterrestrial hybrid who watches his father's death go down firsthand Um, and tortured by the loss. The son Kent uh, spends 15 years struggling to pick up the pieces until he's mysteriously confronted by someone claiming to have been there on that day. And that they have a means of getting his father back. Um, So now Kent is sort of driven to uncover the circumstances surrounding his father's murder and supposed death, struggling to reconcile his dueling sense of identity. He's led further into the jaws of a cold war genetics conspiracy. And what's left of him is forced to confront a twisted ghost from his past as it plunges a dagger into everything he's come to know about himself and what it means to be human. Um, so at its core, it's, it's a super emotional story um, that revolves around identity and mental health and, and, and memory and reconciling all of those things with loss. But it takes full advantage of uh, the sci-fi genre and my background in molecular biology. Um, but it, it's a sci-fi story that's kind of told through um, a very noir type of storytelling lens. Uh, I, I'm very influenced by folks like Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips and um, early Darwin Cook crime comics. So that's kind of the vehicle by which I've kind of chosen to tell this story. Sorry, I'm still on mute. Yeah, and I, and I think one thing that's interesting um, is your, your choice of setting, you know, the fact that you've chosen the, the 1970s, which for, for whatever reason, I mean, I, w- I was born 
during the 70s. But for whatever reason, there's that mystique of the 70s where it's kind of a con- confluence of a lot of different things. Like, you know, the kind of the gluttony of the 80s was, you know, on the horizon and it had its roots in the 70s. And there was already a little bit of a the greed is good um, atmosphere or aesthetic or what have you. But there was also still like the mystery and sort of the hippy dippy stuff of the 70s and you know even a little bit of the the 50s where you know ufos and science fiction and whatever really started capturing the uh, imagination of the of the public talk a little bit about you know choosing that time period um and, and especially the visual aesthetic that you you've established with your artists yeah so there's a lot of kind of confluence that goes into that period of time uh one just in terms of logistically picking a moment in time where I thought that we could take that leap into the fiction, into the science fiction um, would, would kind of make the most sense. You know, it was, it was in the seventies that the sort of hysteria about unidentified flying objects really entered uh, this, this sort of global public eye, despite um, a lot of like the major sightings having happened like 20 to 30 years prior. And, there's also this idea of all of like the social tumult that kind of occurs in the seventies. You know, you had the mid to late sixties where um, drug use kind of became a lot more common of a, uh, of a pastime for, for many Americans. And um, we began to sort of unlock a lot of the rigidity of the fifties and the forties and the thirties culturally uh, and socially. So for me, you know, the 70s were a, a, a time of exploration and tumult socially where we have this character, Kent, who is struggling to 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 reconcile these two very um, these these parts of himself that he chooses to keep separate. Right. They're not separate. They're part of him and, and they culminate in this one person. But I, I felt like the setting just kind of adds this atmosphere of uncertainty and conflict within himself emotionally um, that that proved to be a a really interesting backdrop for the story because you know despite the fact that we're not um you know we're we're not as much on the street in this story and experiencing the sort of setting and and the culture i felt like there there is a an atmosphere that could be set that we could kind of play upon when we are having these smaller more intimate scenes and you just kind of know that outside those walls things aren't that much uh safer you know, than the craziness that's happening in that moment. And there's really, um, there's not a lot of refuge for, for Kent out in this world. And, you know, it's, it's meant to be a little bit more of a subtle placement really in, in terms of setting and time um, uh, aside from implicating the UFO hysteria, there's also the cold war, you know, overhead. And um, we're, we're coming towards sort of the last quarter of the cold war and things are ramping up and the sort of uh, the, the, the rampant fear of who's going to strike first and who's going to find the next big thing in order to take down, you know, the, the enemy um, was sort of at an all time paranoia induced high. So I, I felt like it was, it was kind of logistically um, a great time to, place the conflict of the story and to place the sort of ambitions of the U S government through, you know, this Colonel Winters character um, and, and have it really resonate and make sense. Yeah. He definitely portrays kind of the ambition 
the, the drive of the you know, sort of faceless military industrial complex that will do anything to win. You know, mm-hmm. it's like they've kind of lost sight of the forest for the trees. Like, mm-hmm. what good is winning if you've given up the hum- not only your own humanity, but the humanity of the American people? Because mm-hmm. you, you want to win at any cost. You're not you're not pro- protecting the American way of life because you've perverted it, which I feel like now we've jumped the shark on that in, in so many different ways, but yeah. Uh, anyway, now, now, so now that you're on issue four, so, you know, you and I have talked about this before, how the hardest thing to get right as a new comic writer's pacing, you've, you've mm-hmm. nailed that. Uh, you've got, you know, personal stake in, in the story uh, in terms of emotion and whatnot. You've got that setting in the seventies. Um, and, and it certainly has been action packed. You got a great artist. You're on issue four. We're coming down to the home stretch now. What, what if any, are the new challenges now that you're on the back half of the series? You know, I wouldn't, you know, it's always hard. You know, writing comics is, is hard. Creating from whole cloth is hard. So it's never easy, but mm-hmm. I'm sure you're not like, oh, well, now I'm on the back half. I'm coasting. But specifically, what are the challenges, especially if there's some that you didn't necessarily expect to crop up here when you're over halfway through? Well, uh, you know, there's a certain amount of planning that goes into developing a story and and outlining and such, but um, there's also, I think, a willingness that a a creator has to have to let the story tell itself and to let the characters kind of um, grow into their their own shoes. You know, I wear a size 10 and a half, Kent, definitely not so much. Uh, So he's, so himself and the M character and Colonel Winters, they all sort of... um, They've developed qualities and personality traits and, and, and aspects to themselves that were never quite a plan from the beginning. And, and so for me, it was the, the, the most important thing now as we're, we're on the, the back half of this story is one, to pay off all of the development that we've, that we've set up so far, but also to, to do right by those characters. And that doesn't necessarily mean give them a happy ending, but giving them what they need, right. Based on the context that we've set up here and based on what I know about them now, having gotten to spend four issues with them. Um, and, and, you know, for all intents and purposes, I've finished the, the writing of the series. So, there was an evolution for me and my understanding of who these characters would be aside from what I had originally kind of blueprinted them as, you know, they, they grew into their own people, which I, I honestly think is one of the most satisfying things about um, getting to the end of the story, but also the most stress inducing because sometimes those characters might become something that people don't expect. And, and my job here as the, as the writer, as the sort of pilot of the ship is to, make those things make sense in the context of the story and the world and, and thematically in this narrative that we're building. Um, so both a, a blessing and a curse. So you say, you know, you, you've got the rest of the series all, you know, it's our, it's already written basically. Um, we are on the back half issue four, obviously. And, and we've talked about how well the campaign's done so far, you know, knock on wood, not to jinx it. Um, <laughs> And again, I just, man, that, that third one just threw me for a loop, you know, as much as, as not, probably not as much as you, but just was so surprised because the first two did, uh, you know, did so well. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about the, the community that built up around it. Cause they certainly showed up for one and two, not mm-hmm. sure, you know, like you said, maybe people were on vacation or something for that third one. Uh, how is the community around, around the project? It's, it's been great. Honestly, I've had a lot more folks, um, 
reaching out to me with reviews from various blogs and websites, and, and they've been very kind. And um, I've had a lot of, a lot more people express interest in the story. And I've also had a couple of backers um, that didn't pick up three that came back for four and were, you know, like, sorry, this happened, life happened, which is, is certainly a component. You know, there's like a randomness to uh, sometimes whether or not people even see that something's happening. And also, you know, just the, the, the sort of vicious wave that has been the last two years due to the pandemic, you know, everybody kind of mentally and financially and socially, I, there, there's a, an element of unpredictability there that I think is 100% uh, impacted that sort of slump in um, Kickstarter pre-orders for issue three, but the community has been great. And I, it, the, the most satisfying and heartfelt part of it for me are, are you know, people kind of, coming out of the work woodwork that I've never seen before who are, who are championing the work and connecting with the work. And uh, it means a lot, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I want to entertain people, but I, I'm telling something, a story that's very personal. You know, it's, it's almost like uh, you guys are paying me for a part of therapy. I'm kind of working out a problem in my head. And and so it, it's great that, um, that so many folks can connect with it and, and connect with it in ways that I, I might not have even intended, you know, one of the most common um, things that, that people talk about are the way that we're able to, to make small moments resonate like Kent's time with his mother. Um, And that was so much, that was so like on the back burner for me, you know, um, when, when writing that issue and, I, I don't know. It's, it's the, the great thing about putting a story out into the world is that it, it kind of becomes a little bit of everybody's, you know, it's not just mine anymore. And, and people find things um, that appeal to them about this story that maybe didn't appeal to me, even as the person that created it and, and vice versa. Um, so everybody's just been absolutely fantastic and, and really supportive. And, um, you know, fortunately we, we, we have a, a lot of supporters that, you know, in the beginning, we're obviously skeptical of a first time comic book writer and creator. And, uh, you know, I've been fortunate enough to earn their trust to where they've um, exponentially increased their support for this project, both in, in a social sense, sharing it and, and financially and in, in what they're willing to contribute to the campaign. So it's it's been really fantastic and um, is 100 percent a bright light in the uh, sort of struggle of getting this thing together. You feel like you've grown as a as a writer. I mean, I, I'm sure if you went back and looked at issue one or two, because I know how you creatives are. You you always find mistakes or things you wish you'd done done differently. But uh, you know, try to try to be objective and don't just you know, you beat yourself up. But you feel like you've you've learned a lot through the process and in terms of becoming a better writer. Yeah, the moment <laughs> the moment I see um, uh, uh, an issue put into the like the finalized pdf form i look back at it and i'm like oh man i could have done this and i could have done that and i'm like but I, but you know I, I if anything i think i've gained enough wisdom to realize that um you know i i always did the best that i could at that time and i think to a certain degree there were certain mistakes or um less efficient choices that I had to make in order to recognize those things so that I can grow upon them now. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there are certain elements from prior issues where I look back and I'm like, you know, I could have, I could have made this scene a little bit punchier. I could have been a little bit more efficient visually here, or I could have made a moment matter a little bit more here. Um, 
because I don't want to, the, the unfortunate thing is, is when I'm speaking and like promoting the book, I don't want to explicitly be like, here's a moment where I think I fucking sucked, right. <laughs> you know, because I don't want somebody to read into that. But yeah, there were definitely um, elements of, of all three prior issues, you know, where I look back and um, I've, uh, I'm fortunate enough to recognize uh, areas for growth and, um, you know, I, I, I'm really happy to say that I feel like I've grown exponentially with every issue in my awareness of the space and the format and what I'm able to do with my, my, my creative team. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, there's, there's, it's definitely been a learning experience. That's for sure. And I, I, it's, it's weird, you know, I'm, I'm definitely the first person to self critique, but I, I do honestly feel like in certain ways, every issue I get, I've gotten dramatically better. Um, and I, and I don't know if they're always going to be components of the storytelling that a reader is going to recognize, but creatively, and as the person who knows the sort of schematics, you know, of, of what it's like to make a comic, uh, I've definitely realized a lot, you know, I, I've said it before, like, um, for, throughout the whole series, I mean, there are openings to issues that are kind of nuts and crazy and still like my favorite first page. And I've, I've now written six first pages uh, to the series. My favorite's the third, um, that, that small moment where it's, you're kind of some undetermined time in, uh, after the crazy climactic ending of issue two. And it's just Kent and M in a car being silent and, and it builds on the tension and it builds on the suspense and it's really small and nobody is going to love that moment more than I do. Um, and it's despite the fact that it's probably not, it's definitely not the most exciting um, uh, sort of first page spoilers for issue five. Uh, it's my favorite opening to any of the books that I've written. And I don't think I could have done that uh, in issue two or in issue one. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, in terms of, you know, not just growing creatively, but, you know, we talked about the, the community uh, and that's, you know, and, and you and I have talked offline about it as well. The networking part is, is always a, a function of it. And, you know, you got the, you got to do the convention circuit. I know you're going to be doing a lot of shows this year. So mm-hmm. talk a little bit about, about that. How, how has it been, Cause I know you've done some signings locally and whatnot, like talk about that side of things. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been great, particularly given that I, I started this endeavor, you know, in the height of the pandemic and it was difficult to connect with people. And it was always kind of trying to reach out into the great white ether of the internet to get somebody to listen. And uh, the beautiful thing about doing signings and, and starting to do these conventions or that, you know, these people are primed for, uh, my wares, you know, and the things that I'm trying to get out into the world. And it's, it's not always easy. You know, you, you have to kind of be on all the time and it's difficult when you care about something so much to throw it out in the world, which is kind of ironic, right? You think it would be easy. You're like, I love this thing and I want everybody to see it. But also, you know, in, in my head, I, I think about how I love this thing and how I'm afraid to misrepresent it, you know, to, to people. Um, and it's been a real learning process for me, you know, and, and just trying to figure out the best way to um, to bring somebody into the fold without coming off like hyper salesman like, you know, I mean, I've I've, I've now done a couple of shows and I, I see guys that are kind of um, they're like used car salesmen, you know, they're like smacking you in the face with their stuff. And and in the beginning, I was I was 
definitely too timid because I cared about my project so much. So a lot of it was about finding that middle point and not being able to sort of approach somebody and be like, Hey, here's my thing. Um, Let me tell you why I love it so much and maybe why you might like it. But, you know, it's, it's also built me a really great um, sort of third arm to my supporter base, which is great. And they're people that I've gotten to meet in person and engage with, and I've gotten to show them, um, why I'm so enthusiastic about this story and why I'm so enthusiastic about comics in general, you know, about what makes them so much different from anything else I could possibly do. Um, and that's exciting to me, you know, it's, it's difficult to, and I mean, anybody can make a post, um, promoting their project online in all caps and whatever, and, and seem excited, but there is something about that, that very personal connection and, and watching somebody's expression as they explain and talk about something. Um, you know, I've, I've, I was fortunate enough to make connections with people um, at these shows that uh, have been super valuable to me as a person, you know, and as a creator and as somebody who, um, I don't know, just, you know, as, as many of us have, have pretty much spent a year and a half to two years, like locked inside their house. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about some of the um, the tiers that are uh, available. Obviously, if somebody's you know hearing this for the first time, you're like, oh, how, how do I get caught up? I know there's there's digital tiers you can get caught up. You still have copies, print copies, physical copies of the first three issues as well, right? So, what are some of the tiers? How can people get caught up? And don't forget to mention the the special shirt that's available as well. Yeah, there's a bunch of cool stuff. So my comics are super cheap, um, and without uh feeling bad about it i will say they're also better produced than physically than what you're going to get at uh the largest publishers in the business you know uh it's high quality stock i sell physical copies start at five dollars a piece which puts me in a position where i literally make no money i'm doing this to get the story out to folks and i'm doing this to build a reputation of integrity both creatively and as somebody who's producing a product so you know, if you wanted to, you could catch up and get all four digital issues for $15. I don't know anywhere that's offering anything remotely like that of a story, 24 pages of straight story per issue, no fat in there, no ads, no nothing. So if you're a little bit trepidatious, you think I might be a little bit of an asshat, but the story sounds interesting for 15 bucks, you can shit all over my comic book. <laughs> you know um otherwise physically you know you can catch up for 20 plus shipping and you're going to have a shelf stable book um and, and at your discretion if you want me to i will scribble my name on it for you for free so i try to be um as inclusive with the folks that that get in on the kickstarter and i try to provide opportunities that i will only be able to provide while i'm at this kind of um burgeoning stage of, of the early career uh, you know, you can go as far as to becoming a credited producer of the series, which I found out has its benefits. Back in October, one of my executive producers applied for a professional badge at New York Comic Con and got it. Uh, so cool. there are some unforeseen added perks to becoming a producer or executive producer of the series. Um so yeah, you know, it's, it's super, super inexpensive. And for the collectors out there, I think every tier from like the artist print level and onward, you get digital copies practically for free in the package so that you don't even have to unseal the comics. If you 
choose not to do so. Um, but uh, other than that, you know, you have opportunities to get commissioned artwork from both my interior and a cover artist, and then my, my cover artist, both of which are absolutely spectacular. They both live um, on a separate continent. So it, it's going to be very difficult for you to get any piece of their artwork. Otherwise, um, those are cool opportunities. I have packages for retailers where I literally lose money so that I can get this book onto the stands of local comic book stores and get them to make a little bit of money because they are such crucial uh, cornerstones of this medium and of this industry that I love so much. Uh, and like Jason mentioned, we have really cool, like exclusively designed shirts that I produce. And I, I, I have a background working in retail. So I've brought in my understanding of the sort of basic material science of making a comfortable piece of clothing and um, this design elements of retail. So we have a, a really cool um, campaign exclusive shirt that we designed that says be dangerous read comics and sort of yeah, let me up. uh let me share my screen so everybody can see sure yeah um, like. yeah so, so it's, yeah that one right there in the middle yeah so anybody that that might be listening uh it superimposes the a covers to issue three and four over the text um which i don't know i thought it was a fun super simple design and what which will be available for the last time on this campaign below it uh features the variant covered issue four, along with a quote of uh, of narration from one of the issues, um, and the the image is uh, a character of the series tearing several layers of their face off, but it's uh, quite revealing, um, or or it, it, it teases quite well what is to come in the series. But uh, it says most stories follow the tales of gods and monsters and men. But this one really only concerns the monsters. Uh, and it's honestly probably one of my most, my, one of my favorite uh, pieces of merchandise I have ever designed. Yeah, it's it's pretty cool. And I, I don't think I'm going to be able to resist that, uh, <laughs> that uh, read comics one. I mean, it's just, it's too, it's too cool. Uh, yeah, so uh, there's plenty of tiers, everybody. Whatever suits your budget. It's a great story. I told trevor at the beginning before his very first campaign for issue number one he wasn't charging enough like get something for your time he refuses to do that he wants to get the story out there so i don't know anybody or any campaign that's out there doing it for this price so it's a hell of a deal and the fact that you can still get the first three issues at that same low price is is ridiculous so uh as i always do on the creator owned spotlights i'll remind everybody even if you think the campaign where the story doesn't sound like it's for you or not going to interest you, or you'd love to join the campaign, but you just don't have the funds right now. Best way you can help out Trevor and his creative team is to share it on social media. Cause like he indicated earlier, there are just times when people would love to be a part of the campaign, but they just miss it for whatever reason, bad timing. So put it out there on social media. Certainly if you pledge, you know, on Kickstarter, it gives you the option after you've fulfilled or after you've filled out all this stuff to share it on social media. But even if you're not joining the campaign, just throw it up on social media. Hey, I heard about this great comic. Everybody check it out. And you never know who, you know, it's, not, it's certainly not going to get people to pledge less, you know, it's not going to yeah. drive people away. Uh, any, any publicity in this instance is, uh, is good publicity. So as we're winding up here, Trevor, any last things to, uh, to share with our listeners about this well, like, uh, campaign for number four? Yeah. Well, I mean, like you said, Jace, um, I, I try to make my books as financially accessible as human, humanly possible. And I know it's to my detriment. I know people would pay more money for it. 
Um, but I do it in the hopes that we can get more people onto the book because I am sort of making those financial sacrifices at, at my own expense. So uh, I really hope you give it a look. I have done my absolute best to make this story um, as excellent as possible in both the physical production and the content uh, of, of the story itself and the artwork. I'm working with uh, literally a, a world-class uh, group of gentlemen uh, who, you know, I mean, between my inker, my colorist and my letterer, I have probably close to 50 years of experience added up between them in the comic book industry to kind of balance out my uh, sort of hungry uh, rookie artist mentality um, and my inexperience. But, you know, uh, I, I bring um, a very crucial eye to the medium and to storytelling to the story. And it's... Um, so much more tightened because it's a product that I'm putting out there. And I, I want to be able to connect make this story um, connect with people and I want it to be entertaining. Um, so I really hope you guys consider giving it a look. I've put a lot into this story. We're also getting to the point where uh, this will be the last campaign where you can get a first print copy of issue one. We will be reprinting um, a, a second print with an entirely new cover. So um if you're the burgeoning collector out there and you kind of want to take a bet that maybe I might be the next Alan Moore and then just go hide out in my cave after doing the greatest work in the industry. Um, <laughs> this is a great time to get that issue signed. Uh, if not, and you just want a good story, uh, I really do believe in what we've been able to produce here. Um, and I don't think that anybody would ever pick this story up and say, this is somebody's first comic. One day I do want you to look at it and go, this is my first comic because I want to be so unrecognizably um, improved as a writer down the line. And, and this is the opportunity to help me do that. Um, and yeah, I, I've just tried to provide as, as much opportunity as I can to make this story accessible and to make my readership and, and the folks that do um, decide to lend their kindness and support to this campaign. I, I try to give them um, a, a much more intimate experience with the production of this book, whether it's becoming a producer of the series and literally getting credited on the book, um, whether it's getting drawn in during crucial moments uh, or, or things of that, of that, like, um, I, yeah, I really hope you give it a look. It, it's uh, it's, it's been a lot of blood, sweat and tears putting this thing out there. And um, you know, you're, you're getting at bare minimum a project from a group of creators that really do care about what they do. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm hungry to eventually be one of the best. And uh, I think that that dedication kind of comes through in this story, for sure. All right. Last question. Any chance Kent's going to be playing any liar's dice in issue five or six? <laughs> oh, man. Only if, uh, you know, I was going to say only if you buy him a bourbon, but he's underage. <laughs> so um, All right, next next project. Got to get it. Yeah. In, in the in the sequel. We'll have to we'll have to cameo liars dice in a sequel with a, a, a pack of gentlemen drinking bourbon and joking about, um, you know, the Five, proprietor six, of Terrificon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Mitch Halleck's Terrificon. Uh, OK, that's going to do it, everybody. Uh, we really appreciate Trevor joining us. Remind everybody where they can find you online, Trevor. 
Sure. Yeah. You can find me uh, on pretty much any social media at pocket watch press. However, because Twitter just likes to keep things short and sweet, we have been uh, truncated to P watch press. Um, you can check me out on Kickstarter area 51, the helix project. It'll be uh, titled issues one through four. Um, I really, really hope you consider giving it a look. Um, and taking advantage of some of the opportunities. If you do, uh, I also forget to mention that we've instituted like a referral system. So if you do refer somebody uh, and after they back, have them message me with your name, uh, as long as you are also pledged and um, the backer with the highest amount of referrals will receive quite a grand prize pack uh, along with their pledge rewards. So uh, I've tried to, uh, Tried to, to, to add a little bit of uh, uh, fire under under the bums of uh, all of our, our supporters. But uh, yeah, um, check us out. Follow us in what we do. We have a newsletter that kind of brings you behind the scenes and shows you how to make the sauce. Um, if that interests you as a reader, as an aspiring creator. Uh, if you are an aspiring creator, by the way, there's a tier on the Kickstarter where I will give you uh, an in-depth script or portfolio review if you're an artist, which uh, I can promise you... Um, I bring a, a very high level of integrity to those things. I will not sugarcoat everything, uh, but I will 100% try to give you the best possible feedback based on my experience and based on the experiences of the people that are infinitely more talented than me that I have had the pleasure of, uh, of talking with. So uh, yeah, check us out. Uh, Jace, thanks for having me on, man. Thank you for sharing your platform with our little book. Yeah, no problem. Uh, everybody, there'll be a link in the show notes to the campaign as well as Trevor's social media. So go click there, give Pocket Watch Press a follow, and certainly go and check out the campaign. So uh, we appreciate everybody's support and for you guys joining us as always. And we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The readings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening and we'll talk to you next time.